The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Children, you can make your way to Children's Church to my left. They'll be there waiting for you and great time of worship and study and teaching. The rest of you, if you'll make your way in your Bible to Genesis 39, which is where we're going to be today. But I ask that you put your finger there and turn all the way over to chapter 50. Slip down in chapter 50 to verse 15. No cheats provided. If you're with us and don't have a Bible, a pew Bible is provided. Right there in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, is where we find ourselves. Now, if you would, would you look with me in Genesis chapter 50 and uh, just the end of the book of Genesis beginning at verse 15. Now, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a messenger to Joseph saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. I'll be a steward for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, was count, uh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land. That he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being a hundred and ten years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The grass withers, the flower fades, God's word abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So um, last week we had our Sanctity of Life, and so and the week before we started our series, uh, Christian Stewardship and Biblical Perspective, specifically Lifestyle Stewardship. And you know, maybe there's a question um, out there, Pastor, why did the elders in session select 
um, Christian stewardship in general, specifically lifestyle Christian stewardship in particular? Well, folks, there's really a rhyme and a reason. Uh, the rhyme and the reason begins two years ago when we chose as our ministry theme a lifestyle of evangelism and discipleship. The first year with the focus on personal evangelism. The second year on, on small group discipleship. And we ended up, please remember, we ended up by identifying a curriculum called Foundations. It's got five foundational elements that we believe need to be delivered into your life through small group discipleship. Um, and that is Christianity 101, the basics of Christianity, uh, spiritual growth, the spiritual disciplines, the disciplines of grace, the public and private means of grace. That's number two. Number three was lifestyle stewardship. Number four was training you in personal evangelism using the bridge to life. And then the fifth foundational element was worship. That is gathered worship and lifestyle worship. So the, the, the elders had just kind of said is that we kept working our way through this as pastor. That third element is comprehensive lifestyle stewardship for the Christian. Christian stewardship as a lifestyle. It is comprehensive. Most of us think stewardship money. With that is comprehensive. Let's take the whole year and give attention to it with an opening topical expository series on lifestyle stewardship. Then some an exposition from the book of Romans, and um, and then let's kind of take a look at it and bring focus to it this year. Would you? And then of course that was my heart and my desire, and I said that's I think that's a great idea. So we dove into it last week, and last week one of the points I made to you, stewardship was a very common factor uh, in the uh, when the Bible is written over the 1600 years uh, to be an overseer, to be a manager, to be a steward was very common. And I brought out to you that there are five things that you can note about stewardship. Number one, a steward owns nothing. A steward owns nothing. Number two, the steward's master owns everything. The third principle of stewardship that we find in the culture is that the master, from what he owns, allocates to the steward what he wants him to oversee and directs him. So everything that the steward has has been allocated from the master and directed by the master as to what to do with it. And then number four, in terms of stewardship in that day and time, this steward was accountable to the master. And number five, to be accountable means this. You're an overseer who is faithful with what has been allocated to administer it the way it was directive for a productive output. The overseer, the steward oversees what's allocated and administers it as directed faithfully and productively. Now, immediately, we transfer this basic definition of stewardship into the matter of Christian stewardship. And we begin to see some things. Number one is this. Does the Christian steward own anything? No. The Christian steward not only owns nothing. 
Now, I understand there are papers that say you own things, but that's not the way you see it. As a Christian, with a Christian world in life view, while things in human terms have been entrusted to my ownership, I know the reality is I'm not a true owner. I'm like those people in Acts chapter 2. Though they controlled their property, they saw themselves as owning nothing. That the Lord owns it, not me. In fact, in Christian stewardship, not only do I own nothing, I am owned. I am not my own. I have been bought with a price. The second thing is my master is Jesus Christ. He, ha- he owns everything. I am what I am by the grace of God. What I have has been entrusted by the sovereignty of God. Whether I've got two talents or five talents or ten talents, God is the one that's entrusted to me the resources of life, what's been allocated to me in life. And therefore, my master that allocates it is owns all of it, and he allocates it and directs me as to how to use it. What do you do with your time? What do you do with your treasures? What do you do with your talents? What do you do with your... And what I've asked you to do is to think of everything he's allocated in three categories. Relationships, resources, and responsibilities. What about the relationships that God has allocated to me? I'm a pastor. I'm a husband. Today, 51 years. Praise the Lord. And so, um, that's right. Last year was 50. Made another year. Praise the Lord. I I love the first 50. Y'all need to know I'm on a year-to-year contract since then. But uh, so, praise the Lord for 51. And uh, so, I'm a... I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a citizen, that's been entrusted to me. I live in a country where I get a vote, God's entrusted me to participate in public policy and in the public politic. I am, um, I have finances entrusted to me, I have relationships entrusted to me, I have responsibilities entrusted to me, I have experiences God has entrusted to me to learn from, I have mental abilities, I have emotional abilities, I've got spiritual gifts, I've got physical gifts, and same things true of me is true of you. And God says, I've allocated that to you, and in my word, I tell you what to do with it and how to handle it for me. And we know number four is true also. We're accountable to the master. We are accountable to our master. And that accountability will be on a particular day. There's a day that's coming. It's appointed unto men once to die and then the judgment. And at the judgment, I will not stand at that judgment in terms of where the unbeliever stands uh, with my with my name in those books whereby you're judged because my name isn't there. My name is in the book of life and Jesus has already taken my judgment. But I will appear for the judgment of stewardship. What did I do with what he allocated to me to be administered according to his word? I will have responsibility in that day. So I want to know from his word now how to do it. Can I say that's a great burden on my heart? I know you'll stand there to give an account for what God has given to you. 
And I know the way that you're a good and faithful and productive steward is to have been faithful to what his word says to do with those resources. And one of not the only way, but one of the ways and one of the primary ways that you discover that is through the preaching and teaching of the word and being discipled in the word. Which is why we have to stay on our mission as a church so that you can be a comprehensive steward in all of life. Well, in doing this and laying this out, I begin to think, why am I here today? Why do we now stand in Genesis chapter 39, taking a look at one of the chapters, by the way, starting in 36 all the way to the end of Genesis. The whole book keeps talking about this guy, Joseph, except for a few little isolated um, uh, side stories. And so we're in Genesis chapter 39, and I've chosen that on perfect because I want you, as we study stewardship, I want you to see stewardship in real time. In the life of a believer who lived as a steward in multiple settings, he was a steward for his father in the family. In fact, he would be sent out to check on the brothers. He was a steward for Potiphar. He was a steward for the jail warden, the prison warden. And then he'll be a steward for Pharaoh. Here is in real time one of the men we most admire, astonished by, and drawn to in the Bible is Joseph. And if there's any chapter we are drawn to in the life of Joseph, this chapter 39 seems to be it. And I'm going to walk you through this chapter 39, but before I do, I have a confession and an admission and a request that I would like to give to you. When you come to chapter 39, that this chapter, like every other part of the Bible, is multifaceted. It has multiple contours of what God is communicating. In chapter 39, there are three messages or three contours that I see relatively evident. And one of those is chapter 39 in the life of Joseph anticipates Christ. It is the anticipation of Christ. And you begin to see Jesus through Joseph. Joseph is to some degree a type of Christ. Christ was rejected by his own. Joseph was rejected by his own. Christ was abandoned by the twelve. Joseph is abandoned by his brothers. Christ was betrayed with 30 pieces of silver. Joseph with 20 shekels. Christ was disrobed. So was Joseph at the pit and at Potiphar's house. Christ was falsely accused, tried, convicted, and sentenced. So was Joseph, falsely accused, tried, 
convicted and sentenced. Joseph was humiliated and then exalted. So Christ was humiliated and then exalted with the name above every name that at the name of Jesus we should be saved. Joseph humiliated yet exalted and in his position of exaltation will secure the well-being of God's covenant people in that land of Egypt. Here is time and time again ways that Joseph anticipates Christ and chapter 39 gives us great insights into it. That's all I've got time for this morning. But does that whet your appetite for studying Joseph? I hope so. I commend to you um, the one that has helped me greatly, Kent Hughes in his book on Genesis and uh, Richard Phillips in his commentary on Genesis and, and Jim Boyce in his commentary on Genesis. But not only that, a second contour in Genesis 39 is an examination of a prevalent issue in the Christian life. An examination of a prevalent issue in the Christian life. Harry, what is that issue? Come back tonight. That's my surprise. I have been studying this text for weeks. And in this text is embedded, I believe, perhaps, the most insightful text in the life of someone. Now, there are other texts that give us principles. But here, how do you deal, with, number one, with temptation? Number two, with sexual temptation in particular? And number three, what should men do in relationship to sexual temptation? This is one of the most powerful texts. And the more I saw it, the more I realized I can't just throw this in on Sunday morning. It's too much. And I don't want to walk by it. It's too important in our day and time as, as person after person in this sexualized culture falls prey to Satan's snares and schemes. But here is God's grace-based approach to dealing with it in the life of Joseph. So that's tonight. Let's take a look at that tonight. Uh, and I promise, I know you're wanting to get back to death. I will get back to death to, uh, the next Sunday night. But this is just something that I have to deal with. And then we'll be back to eternity in biblical perspective. But number three, to bring our focus today, there is a presentation here of a profile of the Christian life for us. And the Christian life is one. Now, listen, remember, 
You're a sinner saved by grace. Remember, you're a saint secured by grace. Remember, you're a soldier in the army of God's grace. Number four, you're a servant by grace where you love your master to obey him. And number five, you're a steward. Now, here is a real life example of stewardship in the life of Joseph that I want you to see that can give us some insights for our life. Remember, does the, ma- the, the steward owns what? Nothing. The master owns what? Let's see if this is true in Joseph's life. The desire of a steward is to be found what? In the day of accountability? Faithful. Let's see if that's true in, stewards, in uh, Joseph's life. The steward is to administer what he has been allocated with faithfulness to the master. Let's see if this is true in Joseph's life. And what is Satan's response when you attempt to be faithful as a steward? Let's take a look at Joseph's life. We're just going to do it briefly. There's this wonderful literary term that lets you know where we are in a historical narrative. This is real time. It's the word now. See it right there. Chapter 39. Now, now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. See, now we're picking back up on a story that was two chapters earlier where, where uh, Joseph by his brothers had been rejected and sold for 20 shekels of slavery, cast into a pit and stripped of his robe. That's where he was. Ishmaelites bought him. They were slave traders, so they enslaved him with the 20 shekels, and now they're headed to Egypt, which was a great market for slaves. So he's on his way there, um, and he's on his way uh, to that place when they stop off at Potiphar, who is likely an established officer of reputation in what would be known as an imperial guard that would surround Pharaoh. That's likely what we're looking at. No man of small stature. And so he buys Joseph from the Ishmaelites. Now look at verse 2. Don't miss this. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord, there it is again, that the Lord was with him. And the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. hands. So let's stop there. Now, folks, lest you be trapped into today's current heresy of the prosperity gospel, as people say, <laughs> trust in Jesus, yeah, you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, you're successful. Please, <laughs> Joseph is a slave. That's what he is. So what does the Bible mean when it says that a believer is successful? He is enslaved is where he is. So it can't mean status, money. He doesn't have any. It means a biblical definition of successful is that you are 
faithful to God's calling with what God has given to you and you are and you are content in the Lord. That's success biblically defined. He is faithful. He is productive. Here is a man who was next to inherit everything from his father if his father can find the way. Now he's a slave. He doesn't call a pity party. He takes his current status and he's the best slave Potiphar could possibly have. And every time he does something that the slave would do, he succeeds in his assignment. He's faithful and productive in whatever is assigned to him. And so, so Potiphar sees that. Now look at what it says. Potiphar, so Joseph found favor in his sight. Now watch what it says. Well, look back up. And the Lord calls all that he did succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. So now this man who is productive and faithful where he is assigned as a slave, he is now made an overseer of everything. Why? Don't miss this. He is faithful. He is productive. He is not he is not engaged in self-pity. He is doing what he is assigned to do. He has accepted his position from a sovereign God. He is content. He is engaged. He is industrious. He even gives attention to his master. He attended to his master. He did not he did not um, uh, he did not rebel against his master. He did not uh, attempt to undermine his master. On the contrary, as a slave, he attended to his master. So he saw his position. He engaged it. He embraced it. He was faithful in everything assigned to him. So then Pharaoh says, listen, everything he does is successful that I assigned to him as a slave. Hey, I got an idea. Let me put everything under him. I'm going to make him overseer over everything. I'm putting him in charge of house and field and everything. So look at what he says. It says that he put him in charge of all that he had from that time, from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. <laughs> Listen, that's enough for me to go hire Christians <laughs> right there. Christians who are faithful to the Lord that give attention to what's been assigned and are successful by faithfulness and productivity with what's been assigned to them. I want them to work for me because the Lord loves to bless those who bless his people and then will bless them through his people. And so it's happening here. The Egyptian sees it. The Egyptian puts him over his house, over his house. The Lord blesses the house. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. So he's, 
In other words, this guy had this guy in putting this Potiphar. Let me give him his name. Potiphar has now seen that the Lord is with Joseph and that the Lord blesses Joseph and the Lord blesses Joseph in everything that he does. And in everything he does, Joseph blesses the Lord and blesses him. So I'll tell you what, I'm going to put everything under you. And the result is all I got to know, all I need to worry about is when to show up to eat. That's all I need to know. What time's the meal? Everything else is being taken care of by this industrious, faithful, productive overseer. So let me ask you a question. Is a Christian a steward? Please say yes. Thank you. Who's your master? Can he, can your God say, I don't need to worry about anything I've entrusted to Harry Reader. He'll be faithful in the responsibilities, the relationships. I say that's our heart desire. We want to attend to the Lord in all of the things he's given us, in all the things he's called us, all of our responsibilities, all of our relationships. Now, I'm not trying to be irreverent, but we want God not to have to care. Lord, if you get it to me, I'll get it back to you. Because of your grace, by your spirit, and for your glory. That's what I would seek to do. That's what I want to do. Well, that's the way he was. Now, can I make one other point here? It says this. It says, Joseph found favor in this. Um, I'm sorry. Go back to verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So let me ask you all a question. How many of you all think Potiphar was a Christian? Say no. Now, I hope he became one. But he wasn't a believer. But look at what it says. It says, Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him and blessed everything that he did. How would Potiphar ever make that deduction? How would Potiphar ever know the Lord was with Joseph? How would Potiphar ever know that Joseph was successful because the Lord was with him? Potiphar's just going to think, I got a pretty good guy here. But Potiphar gets informed, no, I'm productive and I am profitable for you because the Lord is with me. Where would Potiphar get that information? There's only one place he'd get it, and that's Joseph. In other words, Joseph, as the Lord blessed, didn't take any credit. He gave all the glory to God and he let Potiphar know, this isn't me, this is the Lord that's with me. He bore witness of the glory of God and the presence of God. That's how Potiphar knew the Lord was with him. Joseph told him the Lord was with him. And that's how he knew that Joseph was blessed. Because, the, because Joseph told him, the Lord is blessing me. That's why you're blessed through me. In other words... Joseph was an evangelist. Joseph gave glory to God. I am what I am by the grace of God. Well, I've got to move ahead very, oh my goodness, very quickly here. Go. So now we got now again. Now, uh-oh, narrative is about to make a turn. This has been a great narrative. It's about to make a turn. 
Look at the next verse. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. This is a relationship I don't enjoy. I don't have one with you. The only relationship I have with you is you are his wife. I'm going to be a good steward of that relationship. You belong to him, not me. And so he says, he is not greater. Um, and um, sorry, let me go to the next one. How then can I do this great wickedness again and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So do you see what he's do- doing? And I really want to take a lot more time with this tonight. But you see what he's doing? He says four things. She says, lie with me. Later on, we find out she kind of says, well, instead of lying with me with intimacy, just lie beside me. In other words, she's trying to that she is drawing him in or trying to draw him in. He says, no. And then he says this. He verbally says out loud this. I can't do this. It's a he says five things. It's a sin against God. It would be a sin against my master. It would be a sin against my vocation as a steward. It would be a sin against you. And it would be great wickedness. Not just, oh, a little sexual problem of unsafe sex. It would be great wickedness. And he says it out loud because he's not only telling her, he's telling anybody else that's listening and he's telling himself. He's raising the flag. He's going public. I can't do this. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against my master. It's a sin against my calling as a steward. It's a sin against your marriage. And it's great. It's a great sin. It is great wickedness. And he makes it public as to why his stewardship would not allow him to do this before the Lord. And then we find out what she does. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. And as soon as she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled out of the house, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought among us the Hebrew to laugh at us. And he came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that, I lifted up my voice and cried out. He left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid she laid up his garment by her until her master came home, until the until his master came home and she told him that same story saying the Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me but as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house 
As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled and Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So what happens? Well, what happens is they have a charge against him. It's a false charge. It's a false court. Uh, His master is angry with him. But folks, you know, I think... The master knows something's not quite right. Harry, why do you say that? Because the penalty for what Joseph did, if he did it, was execution. So this is a mild penalty to put him into prison. I don't know all. One of these days, I'd like to find out why the mild penalty. Maybe this wasn't the first time she had done something like this. Maybe he could see what was actually going on. I don't know. But it's a mild penalty. But it's still a penalty. And he loses his position. And he goes to the prison. And he begins to feel sorry for himself. Right? No. He starts ministering to two prisoners. And he starts doing everything the warden tells him. Next thing you know, guess what? He's the steward of the prison. And don't miss this. Just like Potiphar had no concerns about anything that Joseph was in charge of, neither did the neither did the warden of the prison have any concerns over anything that he was in charge of. If if Joseph was in charge of it, it would be done faithfully and productively. Now I just keep reading that, and I have to confess to y'all, this isn't toward you as much as it is toward me. God, please give me a life. I know I'm speaking humanly here, and I know there's something wrong, ultimately, theologically, that I need to uh, examine closer. But God, I'm just telling you, whatever you give to me, help me be faithful to you and productive in what you've given to me so that you have no concerns. Now, I can't do that without your spirit, without your word, and without your grace and your mercy. But I believe that's the heart of a steward, that the master doesn't have to take a second thought. Once he's given it to us and given us his spirit and his word and his grace to do it. So he is then uh, promoted. Uh, he's now promoted into um, uh, into steward. And, and by the way, it's not going to stop here. Where, where else is he going to get promoted to? Pharaoh. And now he's going to become a prince. He's going to become the vice president and prince of Egypt. That's where he's going to. And he's going to be in charge of everything. And Pharaoh's not going to have to worry about a single thing. So what do we need to learn in terms of stewardship real time? Well, here, let me just give you these and I'll give them to you briefly. Uh, and we'll be pretty much on time here. Here's the first one. The first one is this. Joseph, the steward as a believer. Here, what am I saying? Here's what I'm saying. Joseph is a steward for his father. Joseph becomes a steward for Potiphar. Jo- jo- Joseph becomes a steward for the warden. And Joseph will become a steward for a Pharaoh in the palace. 
Joseph keeps being made a steward. Here's my point. Joseph keeps getting put into positions of stewardship because Joseph is a lifestyle steward for the Lord. It doesn't matter where he is. Favored son or the pit or Potiphar's house or a prison or a palace. Joseph is a steward. That's why they notice they make him a steward because he practices stewardship as a lifestyle. God has assignments for all of us. And those assignments are directly related to our desire to take all that we are and have to use for him. That's why he'll take the five. He'll take the one from the one who buried it to give it to the others who used it. He loves to give. I'm not talking about financial success. I'm talking about stewardship opportunities before God. He loves to entrust to his people those things that he knows they will embrace because they live a life of stewardship, not a life of self-pity. I mean, I could just see, you know, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm, I got the robe from my dad. What am I doing in this pit? What am I doing in Potiphar's house? What am I doing in a prison? But he never descends into self-pity. Whatever his next assignment is, he's a good steward of it. He gives attention to those who are over him. He handles what's been given to him. And then they put him in positions of stewardship because that's what he is. Positions of stewardship are given to those who have lifestyle stewardship. They embrace responsibilities and relationships and resources. And by the way, faithfully and with integrity. And that means there's some relationships they know aren't out. He knows it's not lawful for me as a steward to have you, Miss Potiphar's wife. And can you notice something? Moses, led by the Spirit, doesn't even dignify her with a name. And have you noticed how quick thinking Satan and his servants are. She looks and sees a garment and man, what can I do with this garment? Well, I'll use it to the people out here. I'll take it and put it on my bed. My husband comes home. I'll pick it up and show it to him and I'll concoct this story. You noticed how quick thinking Satan is. Yet. Joseph is a good steward. He would, this is the guy who loved his robe and would wear it at home. Now he's willing to part with garments to flee temptation. His master owns everything. He owns nothing. He has a lifestyle of stewardship. Let me give you a second thing. Here's the second one. The second one is this. Christians are constantly, I mean, I'm sorry. As a believer and as a steward, your circumstances will constantly change. Now, what will you do when they change? What will you do when they change 
in your life. Joseph was the same no matter where he was. Pitt, Potiphar's house, prison, or a palace. Slave, prisoner, or prince. Joseph never changed with his circumstances. Joseph was faithful and productive in every circumstance. And I think the key is found when he responded to his brothers. Don't worry. I'm not going to seek revenge. Can I tell you all what's been happening? When you did that evil and put me in the pit and then I went to Potiphar and then I went to prison and then I went to the... God's been working. God, Yahweh, that's the word that's used. Covenant keeping God. God's been working all things together. What you meant for evil, God meant for good to bring this about so all of you could be cared for. You were ready to sacrifice me. God was just getting me in the place so I could take care of all of you. Am I God? And every circumstance he's answering, no, it's not about me. It's my God faithfully at work in me and through me and for me. And periodically, you and I are going to find ourselves in places that we don't want to be. And we're absolutely convinced. God, why have you put me in this dead end? Now, a pit looks like a dead end, doesn't it? Potiphar's house looks like a dead end, doesn't it? I'm sorry, doesn't it? So I get kind of southern every once in a while, doesn't it? Prison looks like a dead end, doesn't it? There aren't dead ends. God's putting you where you need to be to get you ready for where you're going to be. I'll give you an example. When I went home to take some pictures to take to my sister a couple of weeks ago as she was going to meet the Lord, I couldn't help but stop by the place where we all went to church. And while I was there, I got a little selfish <laughs> I wanted to see a particular road in the back. There's a a small road that ended with a dead end and a turnaround. And I went and looked at it. It's the same now as it was. Fifty-eight years ago. Fifty-five years ago. Anyway, a long time ago. That's where my daddy, after prayer meeting, would take me to learn to drive. On that dead end. Now, I wanted to get on Independence Boulevard. But my daddy knew (laughs) I was not ready for Independence Boulevard. Think of Highway 280 on steroids. My daddy knew I wasn't ready for Independence Boulevard. And by the way, my daddy knew Independence Boulevard wasn't ready for me. So God's got this plan of his people in Egypt multiplied, matured to go back to the promised land. And he's got another plan. And that's to get 
somebody there that he wants there, a faithful steward. His name is Joseph, whom God's going to use for all of this. And Joseph knows it. And Joseph says, listen, just embalm me. And when God visits you, he's going to take you up there. Why does he know that? Because he's there because God had visited him. Did you see it, folks? Don't miss this. Can I give it? Walk away with this, Mr. and Miss Stewart. Walk away with verse 2, verse 3 at the beginning, and verse 21 and 23 at the end. What does it say? The Lord was with him. Emmanuel. The reason we can be stewards is God has not only allocated to us, He's with us. And if he is with us, then who can be against us? Potiphar's wife? Satan? No. He wins the victory. That's why he says, go and make disciples. I'll be with you until the end. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. God with us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this steward in real time just to look at and learn from and be amazed by, astonished by, challenged by, and encouraged by. But thank you. It's not Joseph. It's you. You are with him and you are with us. So if today you're here and you say, you know, I'm not with God and God's not yet with me because I haven't surrendered to him. But, Pastor, today I'm ready. This Jesus who went to the cross to die for me, here is the steward of my soul. And just as Joseph was humiliated and exalted, so was Jesus. Humiliated and then exalted to save you, having won the victory. At the cross. You'd like to pray with someone? Just come to the front and pray with us tonight, this morning. You'd like to talk with someone? I'm available. We've got little Bible studies to help you get started. Then, Father, may I ask you that all of your people here will embrace stewardship as a lifestyle. Give us the freedom of owning nothing, the joy of faithfulness in everything, the anticipation of productivity. All because you are with us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reeder, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.